0: Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Hellraiser Podcast. This is Peter and that is Phil. That is Phil, hello. Hello Phil, how are you? I'm alright, how are you? Good, I'm alright as well, thanks very much. That's good. Good. How is everyone at home? Good. Excellent. Good. So, today we're going to be talking about the next seven stories in the Hellbound Hearts book of short stories, Mm. except not all of them, because we've made a decision. One of the stories is a comic story called Wordsworth, written by Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean, and we've decided to leave that one out so we can do it when we actually get to it in the epic comics, because it was originally published in those. Yes. So we're going to do the next seven, but not that one. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Good. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes, uh, but before we get into that, just want to say apologies for not doing a podcast for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been very busy doing lots of um, great stuff with Nick Vince and all sorts of things and lots of exciting projects coming
0: up. We have, and we'll let you know about all of those as soon as we can. Mm. We have a very exciting year coming up. Hooray. Hooray. Yes. Including more podcasts.
1: We're going to keep doing the podcast, and the more that you tell us that you want us to do the podcast, the more that we will definitely do them, Exactly, because then it makes us think we're not just shouting into the internet on our own.
0: No. <laughs> so the first story we're going to be talking about, story number seven in the book, is Bulimia by Richard Christian Matheson, mm. which is the shortest story in the whole book. Mm. If you've got the paperback book, it just, it's just two pages long. That's it. Core. Cool. Exactly. And it almost reads like a poem. That's the way I think of it. Right. Like a long poem rather than a short story. Mm. So what do you think about this one then? Well, when I first read it, I didn't like it. Right. But the more I read it, the more I like it. And now I think it's really good. I read it again yesterday in preparation Mm. for this podcast, and I thought, this is really good. There's a lot of very intense imagery. So it's written from the point of view of a lady who is throwing up in a toilet in a restaurant. And what she's throwing up is, well how do you describe them little monsters basically mm. and it's the descriptions of these monsters that are amazing it's that that I really latch onto yeah drowning voices hiss and shriek
1: yeah they're brilliant um, little creatures ghastly legs resentful noises spider-like
0: faces yeah and they've got
1: I mean it's amazing they're, and it's they, they're, they're so well described as they're kind of like grabbing hold of each other and yeah. they're desperately trying to jump out of the toilet and sort of get yeah. back in her again and get her um, so yeah it's it's. I really like this story um, I think like you when I first read it I was going oh this is this is interesting this is, is it, a yeah. complete departure in this book but I think it's great I think it's really it good. good it is good it's very good
0: uh, as it connects to Hellraiser yeah that's where I'm a bit fuzzy I mean unless it's I mean you could argue that she's op- maybe opened the box before and this is hell for her Yes,
1: exactly. I, I mean, that's what I thought was that basically this is one of the things that's done to you. Could be one of the things that's done mm-hmm. to you. Could be one of the particular tortures that she is um, going through. Um, yeah. Maybe she had bulimia in life and now in hell, you know, she's coughing up
0: monsters. Or she's been given this horrible gift and sent back to Earth. And she is on Earth. Mm-hmm. But she's got to live with these. Hideous parasites inside it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it gets you thinking, and, you know, I, I think there's lots of different interpretations of it. I'm sure that people listening to this will be going, oh, no, it's obviously this. It is obviously <laughs> well, this I idea. Mean,
0: it is also clearly a, a metaphor for actual the disease bulimia. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yes. Um, but that written as, as horror. So if anyone does have any other suggestions or what do you think of this story, let us know. Send us an email or a tweet. Yes, because it's
1: important to sort of reaffirm here mm. that we are reading these stories with no prior knowledge, you know, no no, no great insight, no, <laughs> as you can just, hear. Uh, yeah. We're just reading them and saying what we think We're of them. Fans. So, um, you know, if you guys have got uh, things that you, you think about these stories, please email us or t- yeah. tweet us or whatever, because it, it's great to have a discussion about them.
0: And the good thing about this one is because it's so short, there's a lot you can then talk about afterwards. Yeah. So there's a big discussion to have with it.
1: Yeah um, But yeah I, I really like it I think it's very well written uh, It makes a huge impact For such a short story mm. And Yeah it, it does get you thinking afterwards You think Well what, How does this connect I think you could put this story In any kind of horror Anthology Yeah To be honest And it would, it would
0: fit No it's very good Well done Good work Excellent Well Nice short story And nice short discussion about it Next one Right on <laughs> So next up, we have Orfeo the Damned by Nancy Holder. Mm. You like this one very much, don't you, Phil?
1: I love this one. Yeah, me too. N- this is one of my favourite stories. really good. Uh, I-, I think it's brilliant.
0: So it's a story of three people. You've got the married Lindsay and Jake, and Lindsay's friend Danai. Mm-hmm. So Lindsay and Danai used to know each other as dancers. She was a dancer, and he's a Broadway dancer. Mm-hmm. And they live in New York. Lindsay's since married Jake and she's become a bit disheartened with her lot and her life. She's ended up just on a cocktail of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds.
1: Yeah, I think she's just lost, isn't she, really? She's 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 kind of lost herself. Um, She doesn't know who she is anymore. She just lives this life. She's with Jake and he's very steady and stable mm-hmm. which person. which she
0: thought is what she wanted now she's just unhappy
1: yeah and she clearly was a bit more kind of her and denai were a bit more wild yeah beforehand uh, denice is is obviously he's described as being a very unstable he is. person
0: and there's no there's no sort of sexual interest there because he's gay mhm but he's very much he wants her to come out and party and be wild with him yeah
1: uh so he brings a box yeah which is heard of saying if you just twist and turn these panels uh, off you go into a different world so that's nice that they kind of they don't have this kind of thing of like what is it what is it you know that he's like this man gave me this
0: box and says this is what it does Mm -hmm. I'm giving it to you as a present because he thinks well he says he thinks that she could do with it more than him but then also he says that he tried to open and he couldn't Hmm. and as we've discussed before they do say that you have to be a certain type of person to be able to open the box. Mm. Maybe he's a bit too... Well, I not think... dark enough uh, to open the box.
1: Yeah, I think what, it, what I take from it here is that there's actually a kind of strength mm-hmm. that's needed to open the yeah. box. Um, yeah. And she clearly has this... She believes, really, it seems, that she's completely worthless and she's just yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. And people like Jake are, are real people and she's you know, denying. Yeah. And actually, she's got this huge strength inside her and we have you know the stuff here where the box is very mesmerising and she's kind of like can't take her eyes off it she's like maybe she can move this or tap that yeah Um, which is seemingly what the box is always like with people
0: so after a rather disastrous meal all three of them Danai leaves and she ends up fleeing to the solitude of her bedroom where the box is still and she starts fiddling with it
1: yeah, I th- I just think it uh it's so well written in in what is is um, not right with her. Yeah, no I You agree. know, like uh she's kind of like we made this food and uh, like as if like yeah, we did something crazy and he's mm-hmm. like that's not that's not crazy and she's flattened. She suddenly you know, she spent all afternoon chopping up beets and cabbage and was like something new, something great and then he's kind of like that's okay and she's like oh god, yeah, what am I you know, what is she looking for? What is, yeah. she, what is she needing? I, th- I find it really interesting to read that. Yeah. So she picks up the box, as you say, and starts giving it a fiddle.
0: <laughs> and she, it seems to be moving. Mm. And it's almost like it's talking to her and telling her how to open it. And so she does open it eventually. And Cenobites turn up.
1: Yes. Four of them. Yeah, I really like how when she's trying to open the box, um, she cuts her finger. Mm. So the blood sort of runs into a channel yeah
0: on the box which of course is reminiscent of a hellbound heart yes. because that's how Kirsty can open it so quickly in the hospital because it's covered in blood and she can see where the blood's gone into the little yes nooks and crannies um, so
1: they've got all the kind of classic things here with the bell mm-hmm. tolling uh...
0: and she thinks she's gone crazy yep so the first centibite he's great <laughs> his eyes were two wounds his eyelids and lips were wrenched back by hooks
1: He's nice. He's nice. He wore a black robe like some kind of monk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Two
0: more turn up. Bald woman. It's very sexual, this one as well. It specifically mentions the woman's sexual areas. Uh, The third creature's a bit weird, and I don't think you could do this very well in a film without it getting a giggle. (laughs) The third creature was nothing but an open, sideways mouth on stilt-like legs, chittering and gibbering through clacking fangs.
1: <laughs>
0: not sure that... Um, six feet
1: tall. Six feet tall as well. Skittered towards her, mucus dribbled over the rows of sharp white teeth. Yeah. So that is horrible. Amazing. <laughs> it's <laughs> amazing, amazing in a book, yeah. Yeah, this
0: this is where the, the short stories really come to life. Things that you probably couldn't get away with in a film, or m- might not do to their best. Do them justice, basically. Yeah. But it's really good to pitch, pitch them in your head.
1: Yeah, I just think it's brilliant. I, th- I think th- they're so well described, you know, th- mm. and why not? And, you know, the, the, the Cenobites are not as sort of small as just people no. who've been cut open. No. You no, know, no. they could be anything.
0: Well, yeah, made by the engineer. Mm. The fourth figure appears, who later is given the name The Ravisher, a half mask of black leather sewn into his face. And then we find out what the bell is, the tolling bell. In this one, yeah. His well, let's just read this now. Ornate scars ran beneath his navel to his penis, which had been sliced open. Two silver spheres dangled from the bifurcated head, and when he walked towards Lindsay, they chimed in unison—the tolling bells she had heard.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that's lovely. No, that's great. Um, I think that's really good. I, I think it's horrible. The description of him is quite sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very cleverly written because he he's written in a way as sounding quite attractive whilst still sounding horrible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The mask is described as sort of Mm -hmm. um, sensual features and stuff like that. So it allows you to understand why she might be able to form some kind of attraction to him in a way, which is a part of the story.
0: But also, if, if any men reading it, as soon as they talk about the penis being sliced open, you think, ugh, so you've got that immediate reaction to it as well, yeah. And then it says a couple of lines later that he comes towards her and he's erect, yeah. And you think, oh, that would hurt, wouldn't it? It's <laughs> if amazing. He had sliced open.
1: So this is great because they're asking her what's her pleasure. Yeah, saying that they were summoned. She's mm-hmm. very confused. I love this where she's they're like, "We're here. You'll be coming." And then (laughs) he's walking towards her erect and he's like, You'll be coming. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Whoa, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love this line a hook shot across the room and ripped out the darkest, bluest vein in the back of her hand. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) Because everybody can relate Mm -hmm. to
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So
1: then off she goes.
0: Yeah. And then we skip forward a year, Mm. almost to the day. And Jake's unhappy. Yep. Bless him because mm-hmm. his wife disappeared a year ago. Yeah. Talking to a police detective. We found out that Danai had gone mad, it seems, and mm. was talking about how she was in the box. Mm. Open the box. Open the box. She's in the box.
1: So he knows what happened. Yeah, he but does. He put it together. Mm-hmm. Um. And the
0: police have tried to open the box, and they can't. So they yeah. give it back to Jake. And he touches it, and ooh, something happens.
1: Yeah. So then he basically falls into the trap of the box and opens it up,
0: mm-hmm. and then we skip back to hell.
1: Yeah,
0: and we find out what's been happening to Lindsay. and it's not very nice.
1: I think all of this stuff. This is why I love this story. Is is, yeah. a, is a brilliant, it's a brilliant sort of realization of the concepts of Hellraiser of mm-hmm. of what happens to you in hell, and how you can. Um, find some kind of pleasure in the pain. How yeah. the experience could be both pleasure and pain at the same time. I think all of that is in this story. Yeah, I agree.
0: It's really good.
1: It's horrible mm-hmm. and kind of exciting and erotic and awful. Is everything all at the same time?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it lasts for centuries for her. Oh, I mean, it just, it just amazing, on on
1: isn't it? You know. I just love that he slid a knife under each cell of her body and pulled it back, hooking it in place. (laughs) Really amazing. He tortured her, skinned her, raped her, violated her.
0: In every which way. All of her wounds. Yeah.
1: Yeah, pretty full on.
0: It's quite, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a lot.
1: And other great points as well. I mean, hell had other clocks. Mm-hmm. The engineer had made all of them and they ticked too slowly to endure. Clanged the alarm too fast for human hearts to catch up. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Absolutely amazingly written. Um, you get a bit more insight into what happens in terms of that she, the Ravisher keeps bringing her back to life.
0: Mm. so yeah she keeps keeps dying dying. bringing her back
1: Uh, I I love this bit where she says her body would explode into pieces sometimes just by sheer force of habit (laughs) so he's just constantly murdering her Mm -hmm. and violating her in the worst possible ways and I just think wow this is really fascinating brilliant brilliant story and then
0: he'd say you're not there yet and bring her back to life and start again
1: yeah and he's he, I can't, I'm reading really it now and just going, my god! Because while he tore her apart, he fucked her apart <laughs> in sex with every wound, incision, and fragment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, endless agony. Um, but this really gets onto that to the point of how you move towards a kind of transcendence mm. with this. I think which is was a key part of Hellraiser is how you kind of actually become one with the pain and how you actually move to a different plane of existence and I how you actually so, do yeah. find pleasure
0: because i was thinking about this and if you know that you can't die because i think for a lot of us if we get intense pain in the back of your head you, the, the fear the main fear is i could die from this mm. but if you know you can't die you would kind of just okay here's here's more intense pain i know nothing you know i can't die and if i do he'll bring me back again so you just have you kind of get used to it i i imagine
1: I guess so. I mean, I think it's like the people... I mean, it's the people who really do do stuff like this. I mean, mm. like the, the guys who suspend themselves on hooks and, yeah. and what have you. Um, you know, they speak of that the pain has just become so much that it becomes a, a, like a drug, like a new experience. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something of that in it. I think there's something of, of completely, yeah, rewriting your brain. It's very interesting, And I think hell is described really interestingly, Mm. you know, with corridors, with blood gushing down. Yeah. Really good.
0: And eventually it describes, it says, he was her angel. He had pushed her through to the side of pleasure.
1: Yeah, without pain, there is no growing. Mm -hmm. I've given you more pain than anyone can imagine.
0: Yeah. And then just as she's there and she says, I know who I am now. I know exactly who I am. Then Jake turns up. Yeah. Just, as, as, just as she's
1: <laughs> flying over hell yeah. with him on, you know, black angel wings. Mm-hmm. Jake turns up. And the thing is, is that she has found who she is. Yeah. She has become a real person, allowing her, you know, the the focus on this pain going through this experience has allowed her to realize her true self. Mm. So... She is exactly the person that we've spoken about who, opening the box, was the right thing. Yeah. This horrific, horrifying experience actually is the right thing for her. Yeah, definitely. And she is in a type of heaven. Mm. And then, yeah, Jake turns up and ruins it.
0: (laughs) And he thinks he's doing a good thing. He's coming to save her. Well, how
1: horrible. I mean,
0: God, the poor guy is trying his best. And she's basically saying, leave me here. I'm all right. Yeah. I want to be here. She turns, he turns up and she's held over a
1: beam, (laughs) on beams over a fire with um, white hot hot irons piercing her vagina. Yeah. (laughs) And he's obviously puking up going, yeah. And she's in the position of saying, no, leave me here. Mm hmm. I mean, what a fantastic story that, you know, (laughs) this poor guy, you know, he's trying to do the hero journey and it's not going to happen. And now the really interesting bit, because you've kind of got to this point in the story where you're like on the side of the Ravisher in a weird way Mm. because he's helping her. Yeah. But then now we get to a point where you see that his only concern, the Cenobite's only concern is inflicting the maximum amount of pain Mm -hmm. on people. Yeah. So what happens next is not, doesn't fit our nice story no, of her being in no, a dark it heaven.
0: Because the Ravisher says to Jake, you came here of your own free will, it's your turn. And then we get the classic Hellraiser bargain, where he says, wait, if it's my turn, then hers is over. Which she immediately says, no, she doesn't want to go. Mm. She knows that he couldn't do what she did. She, he won't transcend No, to this other level that she managed to get to.
1: No, and this is it. This is... This is the real horror of it—that Jake will just be tormented to death, and that's what the Ravisher says. He says he he will just forever and ever and ever Mm -hmm. be tormented. Yeah. Um. You have found your way here. Yeah. Uh. But the Ravisher just wants the worst pain possible for her. So he realizes that actually,
0: there's something worse than him. There's something worse than this.
1: (laughs) If I send you back with him. And I say that you have to stay together. Yep. You will be in misery
0: If you... Forever. Yeah. And if she tries to kill herself or she tries to leave him, the Ravisher will come back to Earth, but won't take her, mm. will take him and torment him for all eternity, leaving her on Earth. Yeah. That is... Brilliant. Amazing. But horrible. Yes. It's excellent. This is real horror. This is really horrific stuff. I
1: just think that, I mean, this, is, this really recaptured for me what Hellraiser is all about and made me think, wow, you know, if I'd have read this story, mm. it made me think of um, Hellbound Heart. Yeah, I agree. And obviously it couldn't have been written without the genius of Hellbound Heart yeah. coming first. Mm-hmm. But it's a great sort of companion piece to that
0: and the last line don't look at me she whispered to her husband as he led her out of the land of the dead ever
1: yeah so and they walk out of hell with all the Cenobites laughing and laughing and (laughs) just loving it being like this is amazing (laughs) Um, and she's just doomed yeah
0: brilliant stuff really good
1: fantastic um, yeah, I haven't got much more to say about that one other than That's, it's amazingly written. on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's amazingly written. Really good. Um, and if
0: you, if so, if you haven't read these books, we are completely ruining them all for you. Oh yeah. But <laughs> if you haven't read the stories, then this is definitely one. If you want to just pick into it and read a couple of them, then hmm. jump to this one. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah. I think really there's not a bad story in the whole book. To oh be no, honest. I agree. Um, I agree. But, um, they're, they're all great. There's
0: one what? I'm not convinced about. Which we'll get to later on oh, Yeah. So keep exciting. listening Keep listeners. listening chums But um, this one's just wonderful mm. As is the next one mm. Which is also one of my favourites in the whole book Which is Our Lord of Quarters by Simon Clark. <laughs> So now we're going back in time to Constantinople, A.D. 1401. The city is being besieged and the story rolls around the emperor and his slave. Now the slave is a teenage boy who's been working in the employ of the emperor, hoping to get his freedom eventually. And the emperor's being presented with a demon who's been captured, Mm. who's called the Lord of Quarters. He's presented to the emperor by a general... Who says, but he won't talk, he won't say anything to you, don't worry. But he turns out he he can talk, he does talk, and he offers the Emperor a deal. He offers him to get rid of the invading forces in exchange for a quarter of everything he owns, Mm. as he's the Lord of Quarters. But the slave realises that there's a lot more to this deal than meets the eye. Mm. So there you go, now let's jump in and talk about it. Yeah, (laughs) This one, again, I think is brilliant. Yeah, I think it's really evocative, and it's like a movie. It's like a really good short film, mm. and I really like it. I've read this one quite a few times.
1: Yes, yes, me too. Um, yeah, I love it. It's great. It, you're right, it is very epic. Mm. This is the kind of stuff where you, that you wish had happened with the Hellraiser films, almost. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of went yeah. off in this, in this way. But yeah, brilliant. Um, the Cenobite, really interesting. Yeah, um, let's, just, let's talk about him. The description of him, he's kind of like a man... Um, who's almost got bits he's withered missing
0: yeah his arm is completely missing of any muscle it says but he's got a fully formed hand at the end of it that's great that reminds me of like a a puppet from an 80s horror film (laughs) (laughs) I think it's brilliant
1: yeah um, and I like it because it's almost retro Cenobite Mm. because I believe that obviously throughout the years the Cenobite's appearances have obviously changed based on what's happening in the world. Yeah. And this guy...
0: Hence the leather and, yeah, and all
1: that. Yeah, this guy is is a kind of old-school centipede, where mm. he's just got bits of flesh missing. Um, he's got uh, this thing of coins
0: yeah, stuck into his flesh, like, creating like scales. Like armour. Yeah, scales. like armour.
1: Uh, and he has, you can see his heart.
0: Yeah, and out, coming out of the heart is a
1: chain. A chain, yeah, uh, of a blood-red metal. mm So this is the key thing that um, basically he wants a bit of this chain put into all the coins in the realm.
0: And that eventually Uh, will spread through the whole of Christendom, as it says. Yeah. So the whole Christian world, basically. And everyone will have a bit of this Cenobite (laughs) on them, in them. Yeah. And the slave realises that's not a good thing. So he yanks out the guy's chain, heart chain.
1: Yes, but you, you, you keep saying Cenobite, but he's actually not a Cenobite. This one, which is 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 really interesting. yeah. He says, um, uh, the appetites of my Cenobite masters are insatiable. Uh, The Cenobites will be grateful for these gifts I will offer them. They will elevate me to their exalted status and I'll be free to roam the centuries again. So So he's a
0: a Cenobite wannabe. (laughs) Yeah, which is a really interesting idea. So what is he then? He's just a, a demon. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He's a he's a a man. He was obviously once a man, mm-hmm. so he's obviously kind of gone through the process of becoming a Cenobite. But yeah. they're keeping him. That's interesting. On the he's hook. like a slave, <laughs> sort of for them. maybe yes, so like
0: the slave is hoping to get his freedom. Mm-hmm. This creature is hoping to become a Cenobite.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and he's got this amazing uh, sort of position of the Lord of Quarters. Yeah, I love this. Is that like he's got gold coins for sort of eyes for pupils and for teeth <laughs> and everything? Yeah. Amazing. Um, and basically he's, it's the classic you know, devil's bargain where yes. he's, they're all in a bad situation and he's like, mm-hmm. listen, come with me, he's do saying, this. Look,
0: you know, you're a bit, you're fucked at the moment. You need money to win this siege, this war. You haven't got it. Yeah. I can help you. Yeah. The emperor says, where, where are you going to get the money from? He says, no, nope, no money. I'll just get rid of your enemies. My Cenobite masters will have their way. Get rid of them.
1: Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's great because there's a contract you have got to sign. Yeah. I love the character of the jester. Yeah. Um, who's... The clown. Uh, yeah, the, who's really um, awful to everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but they just have the, to put the it. the emperor. Up with but the emperor likes him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a brilliant character.
0: But then they discuss <laughs> Then the demon says, yeah, you see those keys? will they go to your concubine's rooms. Yeah. And I you just sign this contract in his blood.
1: Brilliant. <laughs> so he's like, okay, we'll have to kill the jester so we can sign the contract
0: (laughs) and that's important because it's that point that the slave gets his opportunity Mm. as they're fumbling about with the fool, with the clown, trying to kill him Mm. the slave nips forward and grabs the chain out of the demon's heart, gives it a yank and runs off with it yeah and now it gets really interesting because you've got this whole no, it's not supposed to be you it was for him so the demon is constrained by rules
1: yes uh, then we have a kind of chase sequence. Yeah, this is fun, which is great. Um, <laughs> the labyrinth where of they're the running, city. Yeah, uh, and this monster is kind of chasing While them after While they're
0: being him. hurled missiles by people outside besieging them. Yeah, <laughs> catapulting things at the city.
1: Yeah, I mean catapulting dead bodies full of rats. Oh, to that try was and a nice bit, disease, the beginning. Yeah, yeah, which is obviously a true, you know, yeah. thing, yeah. a real historical thing. And then he basically the slave jumps onto one of the catapults. That they have to defend the city. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, first, they have an altercation, him and the demon. Yeah. He says you've lost, and he swallows the chain. Yeah. So what does the demon do? He leaps at him and goes into his throat, basically. Yeah. His body elongates, and he goes down the slave's mouth, into his gullet to try and get the chain back.
1: This reminded me of... Um... Those kind of really bad CGI yeah. things that <laughs> in on films. Like in the early 90s. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, basically he's ripping the insides of the slave apart to get the chain. And the slave finally realises that he can serve his country. Yeah. And fires the catapult.
0: With him in it. With him <laughs> in it. Firing himself out of the city. Yeah. But as he's flying over the city, he realises... That the invading army's forces have actually been defeated, mm. so there's no way the emperor will now sign the contract because he doesn't need to anymore.
1: Yeah, because obviously the demon's not going to be killed by this. No, he's just the going to come back. Like,
0: well, I, whatever, I can just zoom back into the city. But because he knows the end there's no reason the emperor would sign the contract anymore. He's won. Yeah, and even though he's dead, he's happy because the emperor looks after his family's people, and he, you know, that will continue.
1: Yeah so yeah it's, it's a, a brilliant lo- story. lovely
0: story this it's a happy ending yeah the boy it, he's not you know sad depressed unhappy that he's going to die he knows he's done a good job yes he's he's happy if anything
1: and uh, I just think another great Cenobite a really brilliant yeah. realisation of a Cenobite a yeah, not nice. or a not or a wannabe Cenobite yeah. if we're going to be picky
0: <laughs> um, I don't think he uh, would become a Cenobite after this debacle no oh dear imagine no. him going back
1: I just love the the, the Cenobites themselves are, are relentlessly dealing and bargaining and keeping people on on strings. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. yeah, they are. They are.
0: They're, they're brilliant. They're brilliant. wonderful creations. One last thing about the story is they mention that the demon was discovered beneath a pagan shrine, mm. which got me thinking about Rawhead Rex. LAUGHTER <laughs> I thought that was a really nice yeah. moment oh, that's cool <laughs> <laughs> that was it alright shall we move on to the next one yes A Little Piece of Hell yeah. by Steve Niles uh,
1: so this is uh, again a, a, a sort of more straightforward yeah this is just a story. little story
0: so again a bit like when we did every wrong turn from earlier on in this collection of stories these are, horrib- these are horrible people <laughs> awful characters Yeah, especially this guy that he talks about Gordon Fuller yeah well World class evil scumbag son of a bitch. Yeah. could also happened to be my best friend. Uh huh. So we've immediately gone back into the seedy world of crime and violence. Yeah. And this one begins with them hearing about a box. Yeah. Apparently, a character found a box in an alley, mm-hmm. sold it to a pawn shop for a couple of bucks, and then discovered that the pawn shop had sold it for $10,000 later on.
1: Yeah. So obviously, these two scumbags mm. think, right we got to find out about this. We've got to get hold of this box.
0: Yeah. And then it becomes like a, almost like a detective story. Yeah. Where they work backwards to try and find it. Yeah. Which is really interesting. This is really good.
1: There's loads of great details. Mm. so <laughs> a really nice dialogue where um, they're talking to this horrible Andy guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talking about some woman called Julie and he's like, yeah, I fucked her too. And then he's like, mm, I tried to remember if I used a condom. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Um, so, yeah, these people are kind of nasty and... Uh, they find out
0: yeah if they find the guy that found the box in the alley mm-hmm. find out which pawn shop he sold it to go mm-hmm. to the pawn shop and then there's a really nice moment here where Gordon's got a gun mm. and so the narrator's really worried about this and he thinks that he's going to kill him yeah and then they go into the pawn shop the, the pawn shop guy says I'm not going to tell you what you need to know so Gordon reaches behind him and pulls out his wallet yeah. <laughs> instead of the gun and yeah. gives him a 20 and mm-hmm. that does it yeah that's a nice little moment yeah And then, so they get the name of the person that bought the box, and it turns out he's a horror movie producer.
1: Yeah, and he does um, really Really violent, films, you know, and it's the kind of classic torture porn sounding stuff where it's like lots of mutilation and violence and...
0: But this is fun, this little description here. Harden knew how to... This is the producer they're talking about. Harden knew how to snag the kids. He put in lots of violence, graphic, and horrible torture mutilation and added just enough sex nudity to keep the censors at bay. Mm. <laughs> so this is someone who's, who knows the industry, knows what goes on. Yeah. I mean, the writer of this story. Yes. And it's a nice little knowing wink.
1: It's a nice comment on horror movies, I think. Yeah. And what the sort of new genre that's... but then well, also, it's not new anymore.
0: No, but it also <laughs> says that these horror films are so horrible that even these two characters Mm. who are breaking into the house wouldn't watch them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So they turn up at his house and they're going to break in. Mm. And I like this, where they sort of said something about the idea of this box has possessed us both. Mm. Uh, Loads of great dialogue again and loads of sort of great descriptions. I love this kind of bit where he says something like, sometimes when you're going to commit a crime, it sounds weird, but you don't actually say we're going to commit a crime. It just, you just both realise that you're going to do that yeah. <laughs> without saying anything. Mm-hmm. So they're going to go and break into his house. They get there and all the security system is off. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. So they break in
0: and then they discover a rather nasty scene which reminds me of the beginning of Hellraiser Inferno when they find Jay Cho's yeah. body. Well, yeah, what's left of him. Basically, it looks like he's exploded. They find the box, and it's surrounded by awful viscera. And the the room the room is
1: all white, which mm-hmm. reminds me, of course, of Doctor Chenard's oh, house. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and he's great for blood. Of course, <laughs> so, of course. Yeah. Basically, they turn up, and this guy is dripping off the walls. Mm-hmm. Organs,
0: chunks of matter, skin and organs ripped to tiny shreds, still pried loose from the walls.
1: Yeah. And they... Slapped
0: to the soaked carpet. <laughs> <Whoa>.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, and they see the box. Yeah. Right in the middle of it, in mm-hmm. a nice clean patch in the yeah. middle of all this.
0: Doesn't it, it describes as um, like a bomb had exploded and the box was ground zero. Yeah. Which is exactly what does happen <laughs> when you open these things.
1: Yeah, so um, basically Gordon can't let this box go, mm. and he's he's going for it. Obviously, you're kind of saying, when well, maybe we should leave. <laughs> yeah. But they're like, no. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the narrator does a little explore, mm-hmm. and he finds a horrible porn torture porn room that's also full of drugs. He thinks, oh, get something for these.
1: So obviously this hardened guy is into the kind of things that go on in his films, sort of, <laughs> in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, You know, a little bit of... Uh,
0: I think so. Kind
1: of uh, interesting stuff. And he gets all the drugs. Yeah,
0: because he wants to either take them or sell them. Yeah. And he goes back to the lounge or whichever the room was where the producer exploded. Mm -hmm. And, oh, it looks like Gordon has somehow opened the box and he's surrounded by figures.
1: Yeah. Cenobites, leather clad, Mm -hmm. black leather, uh, the kind of standard... Wires sliced open, maze of designs cut into faces, that kind of thing.
0: Although another one that's similar to the earlier, The Ravisher, Mm. when he describes one of them, what I first thought was a vagina was instead the figure's penis, cut down the middle in at least six slices, pulled and pinned around his belly and legs like a seeping bloody flower of flesh. Mm. Horrible stuff, but obviously it's this whole sexual violence, again, pleasure and pain. They love... Slicing penis is open. Hey, well, you know, there you go. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> Can't get a better symbol of pleasure and well, pain, exactly. can you, yeah. really? <laughs> so they have this kind of chat mm-hmm. where basically the Cenobites offer our narrator the chance to change places with yeah. Gordon.
0: And of course he says no. Cause when, and Gordon's like... <laughs> Gordon's like, what? He's really cross <laughs> with him. I
1: know. <laughs> and tries to shoot him.
0: Yeah. But the Cenobite blocks the bullet with his hand.
1: Mm. And he loves it. <laughs> Pure ecstasy, an orgasm <laughs> of pain.
0: And then they say to the narrator again, Are you sure you would not like to play? Mm. Little as the narrator know he is actually playing a game already.
1: Yeah. I love these little details where they kind of like the screams brought odd titters of laughter <laughs> from the Cenobites. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, so he's asking him, Do you want to play? And he's he's like, Nope. I've got out of this situation. I'm clever.
0: Well, exactly unfortunately not as clever as he thinks he is Mm. as he gets outside the police are turning up
1: yes so So what are they going
0: to find they're going to find the remains of two bodies in the house yep this guy coming out probably with blood all over him from where he's been touching things yep and his pocket's stuffed full of drugs yeah and he realises that he's been played and he's lost and so both of them he and Gordon have lost their souls one in hell and the other on earth
1: yeah, so that's it, he's done for. Yeah, Off he says, to prison. Last line, well played. Well played. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yeah, it's good
0: good nice little story that. Good story. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah. But well written mm, and enjoyable. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah good fun. Mm. So next the Dark Materials Project by Sarah Langan. Hmm. So I'm just going to start this one by saying that this is possibly the only story in the book that I'm not 100% sure about, hmm. personally. Um, when I first read it, I thought it was quite confusing and I didn't really understand it. And really? I still don't know if I understand it completely. Uh-huh. And I don't think I'm that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more because I, when, every time I read it, I try and put myself in the mindset of the scientists and work out what they were trying to do. And maybe it's because I don't know enough about genetics or...
1: Well, I think they're using... I think with this story, they're using real world science. Yeah. But then making up a lot of stuff as well. They are. So it's all, you know, it's a mix.
0: Okay. And that's fine. So as long as you go into it knowing that you, you know, some of it is real and some of it is not. I mean, I
1: liked it. I enjoyed reading it. Good. Uh, But I did find it you know it, it's not a story where you immediately go oh I know exactly what's going on here and no you know it's one you have to think about a lot and, mm. and kind of work out and I still wouldn't say that I know <laughs> exactly yeah. what's happening but it's more of a sort of mood piece In if anything I,
0: no you're right it is and I, I did find it quite hard to get into it
1: it made me feel depressed
0: me too maybe, um, that, maybe I didn't like it for that reason maybe it wasn't fun enough for me
1: <laughs> yeah it wasn't it wasn't fun
0: it is definitely well written it's very and there's some really lovely stuff in it so let's just jump into it briefly uh, the group of scientists f- from the servetus labs they're trying to discover dark matter shadow dna by decoding the dna double helix is that right
1: yeah it's basically you know all the stuff that we have in in the real world where yeah. you know you've got um dna being decoded and mm-hmm. you know the human Genome, etc., and they've discovered shadow DNA, yeah, which they're sort of uh, decoding. And they've got all these supercomputers and scientists, yeah, finding these things. And, th- and basically, these things control other parts of our personalities yes. and beings. Um, so they've got lots of animals, and they, I mean, mm-hmm. I love it because it sets up this great mood. Because at the beginning, we've got all these animals who've killed themselves, yeah, and they're like, we, well, you know, and this scientist. Absalom, who's the kind of lead scientist. Mm -hmm. Uh, His life is kind of falling apart because he's in charge of this project and weird things are happening. His pregnant wife's left him. And she left him, you know. So, I mean, it it is very heavy with atmosphere and foreboding. And dread.
0: And it begins with them mentioning that Stanford University was trying to do the same thing, but they've accidentally opened a black hole.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, that's stuff that's really happening in the world. You know, scientists are... I know um, they're creating messing with black holes, big and, bang, and, and black stuff holes like that. Sure. Yeah, so that's what I liked about this.
0: It's prophetic.
1: Taking, <laughs> I hope not. It's taking um, real world stuff and putting your own twist on it. No, I agree. Because if I was going to write a story and I was like, you know, watching the news and they're like, oh, these people are trying to create a black hole, I'd be like,
0: oh, what the fuck? Could that be?
1: Could that be <laughs> yeah. a gateway to hell? Could mm-hmm. that be? You know, event horizon. Style? Well, exactly,
0: and that's what this reminded me of.
1: Yeah. I think the characters are not likeable. No. Which, no, they're not. Like, um, And that makes it hard to read through. Um, but and it's, whatever's
0: going on in this lab is also creating mania, not only in the animals, but also in the people that work there. Um, yeah. He's hallucinating things from his past.
1: I think it's basically hell is kind of opening up. It is, And yeah. the more that they decode... It's a puzzle. They're it. solving
0: a puzzle. It's opening a portal to hell. It's, it is.
1: This is the classic thing of, instead of using the box, yeah, the puzzle of... The DNA helix, the shadow Mm -hmm. DNA, will open the gateway to hell.
0: And the fact that this guy is so obsessed with it, and he's been just concentrating on this his entire adult life. Yeah. And the computers are, they sort of take over in a certain way. The puzzle solving takes over itself. Yeah. And it's solving it, and everyone keeps leaving or going mad. Mm -hmm. And so he's having all these weird flashbacks and hallucinations. Yeah. And eventually gets his wife, slams her in the trunk of his car, assuming it's a dream or a hallucination. Mm. But it's not.
1: Mm. It's very well written. And um, yeah, it is It is depressing, I think.
0: <laughs> it is depressing. It is. Especially the end, because he, he sort of kills his wife and his unborn baby. And she sort of gives birth to this dead thing and then dies. Yeah. Re- I mean, the very end of it is him realizing that a black hole. Yeah envelops the sky yeah it's not
1: very cheery is it no and it's kind of dream like because he's he's going through all these hallucinations and stuff horrible and horrible dream you know it's like um, double helixes turning into stinging jellyfish mm. and hooks coming out of people's faces and it's uh it's pretty intense yeah I like it I mean that's why I like this whole collection of short stories because they're all so kind of different
0: yeah they are different uh and Maybe I just prefer when I first read it. I think I just preferred the ones a bit more fun. Maybe. I think
1: you've just you've just read two yeah, really oh, that's, fun that's stories, true. yeah, and, and it, then you come to you this, which order. is like a kind of slap in the face, it's which a is a real downer. It's isn't it? a real, but it's really good story. No, it is um, You're right, but it it hits you really hard mm. after sort of reading these ones that are, which, which are kind of a bit more um, uh, kind of amusing in a way. Yeah, but it's very good.
0: It is. No, it is. So, so there, you're wrong. You do like it. <laughs> I do like it. It turns out I do like it. <laughs> I'm glad we, we figured that out. Okay. And our final story to discuss today is Demon's Design by Nicholas Vince. The Nicholas Vince, the, the chatterer. The chatterer, wow. indeed. So the first thing that hit me was it's set in London. Yes. <laughs> which I liked. Yeah. Because the original film was... Originally supposed to be set in London. Of we course. like that,
1: don't we? When we see the well, Thames it's... and St Paul's Cathedral, we, we get all like, "Oh, I love it! Oh yeah, oh, I love right it! London town. We're in our own town."
0: <laughs> and of course, Hellbound Heart—the original story was set in London, and the mm-hmm. film was supposed to be, but kind of half was and half wasn't. Yes, but this one is set in an art gallery, which is of course the Tate Modern yeah. gallery. If anyone mm-hmm. that knows London, not mentioned by name in the story, though. No, not quite sure why. Maybe anyway, there's a. Maybe not allowed he, yeah, to. Maybe you can't say that. I don't know. So, um, but it's clear that's what it was because that's where it is and that's what it is. Yeah, converted power station. It's clear to us, Peter. It's clear to me. Yeah, and that's all I care about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but um, anyone that knows the city, and if you don't, it just sounds interesting. A converted power station into an art gallery sounds fun anyway. Yeah. So we dive straight into the story on this one, mm-hmm. which is a really good thing about Nicholas Vince's stories in general. You sort of leap in to the action. Yeah. So it starts off with these two lovers going to the gallery, Mm -hmm. uh, Justin and the narrator, Mm. who uh, we're not sure about the narrator. I mean, I don't think... Looking through it a couple of times, there's no reference to the narrator being a man or a woman. Mm. And for some reason, I've assumed it's a man and it's Mm. a gay relationship. Mm. But I don't know why, because there's nothing specific. It's quite ambiguous, really. Mm. I don't know why I thought that, but I just did when I read it. Yeah. So... That's what I'm going to go within my head, anyway. Okay. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter for the story. No. Justin's father is an artist who's got this his new piece being opened in this gallery. Yes. That turns out to be a massive, giant cube that's full of little doors and corridors and stairs and like a little maze that you can enter.
1: Yeah. So before we get there, Justin sort of tells yeah. you a little bit about his father being this modern artist. Um, who has done some very weird things Mm -hmm. before.
0: Yeah, and there's there's obviously something... There's a bad relationship here between the father and the son. Yes. Um, The son, Justin, used to be a drug user, Mm -hmm. and his father ended up getting him help, Mm -hmm. but not until a big argument between the two of them. But one of the arguments seems to be that his father's been using their own personal stories and interactions in his art which doesn't go down very well with Justin he's quite upset about that
1: yeah so I mean his mum Justin's mum died and he was very close Mm -hmm. to her and that kind of left his life a bit bereft and his dad sounds very cold you know like he would use something private
0: yeah I think so but the reason all this comes out is because he's saying I think dad's gonna do something really bad and the narrator says why don't you tell the police and he says well actually I can't because they don't trust me (laughs) because it turns out that they had a massive argument a while back his father pissed him off, so he told the police that one of his pieces of modern art was a real person who'd been pickled. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so he's stuck there. He can't he can't get the uh, cops involved.
0: Which, knowing how the story ends, maybe it was.
1: Yes. yes. No, absolutely, yes. Um, and he had... Yeah, told his father about when his mum died. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, like this Buddhist hell of the Crimson Lotus. Yeah. And then his dad did a piece called Hell of the Crimson Lotus, which basically was mocking his son, he believes.
0: Yeah. He, he that's what he thinks. Whereas the dad was, was just saying, well, the dad dad kind of implies that, no, I was, I was doing this, you know, just because it inspired me and you inspire me, sort of thing. Yeah. But he's, so it's written, a bit, he's a bit weird, though. Well, it's
1: written that you could take it both ways. You could take it that the son was wrong. Mm-hmm. Or that the son was right.
0: <laughs> yeah. However, the son mm. then finds a piece of paper in mm. his father's studio.
1: He's going to kill all these people. Yeah. And it's uh, Philip Le Marchand.
0: Indeed. So Justin does some research mm. and discovers who Le Marchand was. And there's a really nice moment here, which mm. I really like, where it's a reference to Hellraiser or mm. Hellbound Heart, the story. Mm. We're talking about the stories about Le Marchand. There are more recent stories. A couple of brothers in North London in the 1980s. One of them apparently got hold of a Le Marchand toy both brothers and the wife of one were killed or disappeared that's cool oh, isn't when it? I remember that I was like yeah <laughs> that's cool and so he thinks something bad going to happen the narrator's not convinced at this point so we believe and then they arrive they arrive and there's Caruvian, the father yeah. of the artist yeah who invites them in and i love the fact that he he's completely bald he's shaved all his hair apart from the mustache and goatee with Die blonde and all of his people who were there working yeah. that night look the same. Yeah. <laughs> That's great.
1: So the art installation is this huge cube.
0: Mm. And he brings them he takes the two of them in. Yeah. First of all to show them around.
1: I mean it's covered in abstract carvings and bra- mm-hmm. bronze panels um of people being killed with hooks on lengths of chain. Yeah. Uh, extreme S&M clubs stuff.
0: Mm. Not nice stories, it says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the the narrator is walking along. He sees a panel that showed Justin and the narrator on the bridge talking, walking, and kissing. Mm. So something weird's happening there. There's not been time to make that. So Interesting. There's something weird and supernatural going on here.
1: And it says that he was driven by desires, clearly deep desires, to make this thing. So yeah. there is clearly something going on with his father. Mm. I mean, this is not a nice piece. It's an awe-inspiring piece, but yeah. it's are the bronze panels, everything that's happened with the box up to now, are they all the people who've been taken by the box? Mm. You know, who knows?
0: And then Justin sees something else that is another personal thing that his father's taken and turned into a piece of art. Yeah. About strength. Who's the stronger the person who can beat someone to the floor or the person that then offers them help? Mm. And so the father sort of throws up his arms and storms off in a huff. At which point the narrator realises that he thinks they're lost inside and they're trapped. So at this point, as a reader, the first time reader, mm. I'm now thinking this, this the story is now this. They're trapped inside, they're going to get killed. Yeah. But of course the son, in a bit of a creepy weird way I think, knows where to go. It's like, yeah. no it's fine, I know how to get out, you just should have asked, let's go this way. And they, yeah. they arrive out. And then there's a whole group of people there who applaud them for coming out and crew the inside. They oh, are the first two explorers in the further reaches of experience.
1: Yeah. So they they kind of got stuck and there was all kind of fake corridors and this and that and the other. Yeah, that's is great. Great.
0: There's, yeah, so it's mirrors. Yeah. And also, yeah, fake corridors painted on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, great stuff.
1: So there we are. <laughs> two first explorers in the further reaches of experience. <laughs>
0: And then they've all they're all there to go in themselves. All these people, and he says to them, "You've got your tickets and your maps."
1: Then they've got personal routes, yeah,
0: and personal rooms.
1: So there's basically they've been allocated uh, rooms. You may not end up with the partner you arrive with tonight. Mm. Mm. This I went to see um, a theatre company called Punch Drunk recently, their mm. new show, and it's kind of sounds like this. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's quite similar. Yeah. So they all kind of giggle and like, let's go.
0: Yeah, but they all they all enter. And they seem to be having a nice time. Mm-hmm. So you see, hear some giggling. Some so they cries go in of delighted surprise. They
1: all wore masks.
0: Yeah, they're all wearing masks.
1: God, it's really like Punchdrunk, actually. <laughs> uh, and their destinations are based on intimate interviews with their friends, other artists, and enemies.
0: That's interesting. I love that mm-hmm. idea.
1: So they're in their, you know, cries of delighted surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where, as you mentioned before, the father says you know, you've never understood why I used your stories for my work. Yeah. You know, you're. I have always loved you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you never encouraged me, you never praised me. And he says, that's the, what your mother did. I wanted you to be strong and I want you to, to understand, you know, what, what life was all about. Mm. So then he says, time to play. Yeah. and he <laughs> and and Lots goes, of little nods to Hellraiser. Lots of little Hellraiser nods. And he yeah. goes and
0: joins them. Yeah. A uh, walkway is lowered, allowing him to cross to the installation, to the centre of the installation. And he takes all his clothes off. Naked, yeah. The walkway is removed, so that there's no way of getting to the installation. And then he yeah, he walks around and as he does then sparks of light and the light comes through the gaps and we all know something's going on inside.
1: So now the whole box starts to rearrange itself, which mm-hmm. is really amazing. And the people inside... I love, it says, I, love having... I wondered how he was meeting health and safety rules. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome.
0: And the people inside stop having a great time.
1: Yeah. They
0: start to scream. And... Smoke. Yeah. Weird. But it says says yeah, hid, hidden smoke machines came into action. It mm. says. So he's still thinking, or the narrator is still thinking about it being a theatrical experience. Yeah. And so this is getting
1: really bad now. I smelled excrement and blood. Yeah, it's not good, is it? Saw a young woman... Which standing to an entrance to a room, which now moved over a fifty-foot drop. Mm. So yeah. yeah, now the narrator's like, "I'm off. I'm running." Yeah, phone's out of power. hmm I left Justin throwing up on the bridge. <laughs> I ran from the things coming through the walls.
0: I was scared, and I don't like being scared.
1: So basically, I'm thinking there because you've got the blue light, you've got the noise, and all yeah. that. it's almost it's it's a huge. Um, puzzle box isn't it and it's called up the Cenobites
0: and they're coming into basically Caruthian's given them all these people yeah here you go
1: so we have here the uh, it says the newspapers were bewildered um, afterwards they speculated on an unnatural physical relationship between father and son Mm. Uh, they blamed Justin for not alerting the world earlier to his father's plans
0: and then it turned out that Justin committed suicide afterwards yeah and then we have our little little twist hmm Where it turns out that the narrator was actually working with Caruthian. Yeah. We find out the narrator has gone to Caruthian's studio flat, grabbed all the diagrams, all the plans, everything that could connect them together. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was removing the evidence of my dealings with Caruthian. Part of the price of the plans had been his silence about my enjoyment of his son a dalliance necessary to ensure Justin knew nothing of his father's wanton desires of that night. So basically the narrator was keeping Justin out of the way. Yeah. So he wouldn't know what was going on. Yeah. And then the very interesting last couple of lines, Just it just ends with, I still have Le Marchand's designs. One day I may show them to you if you have the desire. So yeah, very interesting ending. Mm. Yeah. Good story that.
1: Lots of great ideas in that one. Again, it's another kind of more straightforward. Yeah. Tale. Um,
0: but that again, you can really picture it. You can really see it happening, yeah. unfolding before your eyes.
1: Yeah, and it's got lots of nice sort of connections to the Hellraiser universe. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy talking that one. of
0: this story. Um, I recently put out last week, I think it was, as we we're recording this, I put out a, a little Facebook and Twitter plea to anyone saying, "Tell us your favourite stories from the collection." And we yeah. got a few replies on Facebook and Twitter, and a couple of emails as well. Um, Most of them were for stories that we haven't talked about today. Mm -hmm. People like The Collector, we did last time. Yeah. And a lot of people like Santos del Inferno, Mm. which we'll do next time. And also Sister Solis was mentioned a couple of times. Yeah. Which was written by Barbie Wilde, who played the female Cenobite in Hellraiser 2. Yeah. Both of those we'll do next time. But the only story, actually, that people said that they really liked... From this collection we've just done was Demon's Design, Ah, Vince's story. Excellent. So it's it's generally well liked by a lot of people.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, we've spoken to a few people at various sort of yeah. Hellraiser gatherings, mm. and they mentioned it as being one of the ones they really liked. Yeah, um, yeah, I like it. I mean, I do. It's good. I think it's a brilliant blueprint for some kind of weird Hellraiser. Attraction.
0: <laughs> okay, you let's, let's go. go. Should we Maybe email we should the uh, the tape modern now? We'll um, we...
1: <laughs> we'll get in touch with Nick and we'll come back to you when we've created. <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: that's our next plan.
1: Art installation.
0: Brilliant. So, if you anyone else listening to this, if you want to tell us your favourite stories from the collection, either from this these ones we've just talked about or the whole book, then let us know, and we'll talk about it later on. Because there will be at some point a third and final discussion about. These stories, the Hellbound Hearts, will do the final seven stories.
1: Yeah, and yeah, you know, if you want to get involved with the show, email us your thoughts and we can mm-hmm. we can discuss them yeah. on air.
0: Hellraiserpodcast at hotmail.co.uk mm-hmm. is our email address. Also check out the website, hellraiserpodcast.com. You can join us on Twitter, at HellraiserCast. We're on Facebook as well. Find us there. Yeah. Come, interact with us. Mm. Good. I believe that's all for today. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank it's you, Peter. It's
1: been lovely to be back after such a long absence. Yeah,
0: and we definitely will try and do these more regularly than we have been.
1: Yes, we will We will fit them in a bit better with our amazing yeah. plans.
0: We've got some good ideas for stuff coming up soon. But mm. If you've got anything you want us to talk about, then do let us know. Mm-hmm. So we'll hopefully be with you again very soon. Mm. See you all in the future. See you in the future. <laughs> <laughs> all right, take care, you all. Have fun. Don't have bad dreams. Bye. Bye. Bye.